Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening is Adam White. Well, 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 we'll never say that French football can't surprise you, because what a weekend we have had. But before diving into that and some international news as well, here are your latest headlines. Dijon got things going on Friday night as they came from behind to eventually beat Bordeaux 3-2 with Wesley Saeed scoring in the final few minutes for their fifth win in their last seven, which certainly cuts the mustard. In Saturday's early game, Strasbourg ended Paris Saint-Germain's undefeated streak with a 2-1 victory at the Stade de la Meneau. The Parisians arrested Edison Cavani and Marco Verratti, but a wonderful strike from Stefan Bahoken, formerly of St. Mirren, earned the promoted side a valuable three points. In the multiplex, Monaco addressed their recent slide with a 1-0 win over Angers, thanks to a Radamal Falcao goal, his first since late October, while Rennes cut short Amiens' seven-match unbeaten run with a 2-0 win at Rojan Park. Lille earned their first back-to-back -back wins this season by beating Toulouse 1-0. Gangomp defeated Troyes by the same scoreline for their first victory since mid-October, as a, and as a Baltari-inspired Nice put down lowly Mets down 3-1, who are still rooted to the bottom of the table. On Sunday, no earned a one-all draw against Saint-Étienne, with Julien Sable still awaiting his first win as the new Lever manager, as Claudio Ranieri took great exception to a challenge on Valentin Rongier, remonstrating with the official in the tunnel after the game. Lyon got back to winning ways with a tough 2-1 victory in Caen, thanks to strikes from Maxwell Cornet and Mariano Diaz, winning despite Ivan Santini's strike late on. In the final game of the weekend, Marseille just about earned a one-all draw at Montpellier. The hosts went in front thanks to Giovanni Ciel before a very controversial penalty allowed Florian Tovan to equal proceedings. Michel Dixakarin's men were also denied a late winner as it was ruled out for offside. In other news, France are in Group C alongside Denmark, Australia and Peru for their tournament for the tournament in Russia this summer at the World Cup, with potential opponents in the quarterfinals possibly being Portugal or Spain, or maybe even Argentina in their group before that should results end up a certain way. And that's all for the news. But remember, to stay up to date with all your French football news, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week with the real surprise of the weekend and PSG's unbeaten run has come to an end thanks to Strasbourg, who were absolutely excellent on Saturday afternoon. Um, Adam, it's difficult to say that anyone saw this coming. I don't think anyone thought that, aside that two years ago, we're in the third division of French football, are beating probably the most illustrious team, not even just in France, but possibly one of the most illustrious teams in Europe at the moment. Yeah, it was it was incredible, really. Um, it, it was a great game, first of all. I think it's, it's, it's really just sort of fly in the face of 
the, the opinion that Ligue 1 perhaps is, is, is a bit of a one-team league, and, and, and that's obviously uh, something that's understandable given the way the league has panned out in recent years, not last year, of course. Obviously, that's a, obviously a huge caveat to that too, but it shows that lo- teams lower down the table can, given the right circumstances, can really compete with, with the big sides. Um, as we've seen other teams do this season as well. You know, Montpellier, who took more points off the, the top four yesterday uh, against against Marseille. So, that, you know, there are strong teams further down the league, perhaps a little bit less, you know, well-renowned, but they, they're capable of causing upsets. And I think it was a bit of a perfect storm for Strasbourg on, on Saturday afternoon. They've, they have a brilliant atmosphere, don't they? They're, they're, their fans are really, really fantastic, and they credit to the league. And they've been sorely missed having been down, in, as you mentioned, in National and, and League 2, getting consecutive promotions, of course. And they, they were really brilliant. It kind of felt going into the game with PSG sort of perhaps one eye on the Bayern Munich game. You know, they've got that big lead, 10 points at the time anyway, going into the weekend. Um, that it, it felt like that, you know, it was possible that Strasbourg could get something from this game. Obviously, no one really thought they would win it. But I felt watching the game um, at Radar Towers that there was there was, there was was sort of something there for, for Strasbourg. If they could, you know, get the crowd behind them, get, get at PSG, you know, put them under pressure in a game where no one really wants to, you know, put... To get, for PSG's point of view, it's not always get really injured or not against to give too much away given they've got that buying game, which although is a little bit of, of a misnomer in that, that it's a really important game, I think for PSG it's an important game. They really want to make sure they win their group and that's huge and that's their only real objective between now and the first knockout stage of the Champions League given the lead in the, in the league. So, you know, the way that Strasbourg sort of really were aggressive in their pressing and defending and they, they really did look really very well organised and... and they deserved their win, I think, after over a sort of a certain period of the game. I felt like they, although they took their one chance, PSG didn't really create too many clear chances. Um, one all was sort of a fair as fair half time score, I felt at least. And obviously, PSG were pressured in the in the second half, but they took that chance brilliantly. That Bahokan goal was fantastic, and they didn't really create that many chances in, in response, did they? PSG. I felt like that Strasbourg, although obviously had backs against the wall for a long period, you know, they 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 deserved at least something from the game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that they possibly take an, a great amount of hope. I mean, we've seen sides simply just set up to completely defend, and we've seen that some success for Mets at some part of the season, although obviously it ended very badly when they had a man sent off. You've seen Montpellier try that, and it worked for a nil-nil draw. But I think they took a, a couple of cliff notes, at least from Trois' um, performance in midweek, really, taking that the, the fact that the the wayside wasn't afraid to attack them when they needed to encounter that they kept the ball a lot better than some of the other sides that have tried to defend against them restrict PSG as much as you can in terms of having possession because that's where their greatest strength lies they have great attacking players but yeah you're right I mean it took them about until the 89th minute to have a, when they did swap keepers from Kamara to a Okidja that it took a, mm. about it took another good 15 minutes before he had a a strike on goal, but they, I thought they were excellent, really. They they showed, like you said, the pressing was excellent. I thought they, when they could try and get forward or try and get the ball, they they, they did that. I, I thought that um, they sort of gifted the opener, really, in all honesty. The, the defending for the free kick yeah. is abysmal. It's it's playground stuff, really. You, you play to the whistle, you you follow your man, and they all just stepped up and allowed Nuno de Costa the sort of freedom of freedom of Strasbourg really to head that one in and it was a relatively simple goal and the second one is a is a relatively simple goal I mean it's a big it's it's the classic sort of English style goal you might even say it was a big pumped up field flicked on by someone in the in the attacking sense and it goes on to the I don't know if they'll quite call him a legend at St Mirren given he only played five games for them but uh Stefan Bahoken <laughs> scores a scores a wonderful goal really that I you can't really blame Alfonso Ariola for really it's it's a it's 
it's possibly where he maybe can save it, but it's gone past him before he's even really acted. But I don't know what you thought about this, Adam. Obviously, they rested a couple of players for that midweek game, but again, it's promotes to why they would do that, given that they're probably still going to finish top of that group. And do they really need to make a, a statement at the Allianz Arena? I'm not so certain. But I, I think this really underlined the importance of uh, Edinson Cavani, who did come on in for the sort of last 15 minutes or so, but he was sort of starved of service anyway. But he he almost nicked that that goal with a header that Akudja had to no knock over the top in the last few minutes. He almost made an impact, and they just lack a cutting edge without him, or at least, if not a cutting edge, a finisher. Yeah, I think that's definitely a really interesting interesting point. When you feel like there's so much attacking potential in this team, and then without their central striker, they they sort of become a little bit blunt. I think that's that's an interesting point, almost in reflection of Mbappe more than Cavani, because. There was a period in the Monaco game where Mbappe was sort of, well, I think it was almost Cavani's decision where Cavani said, you go play out front for a bit, I'll play on the right. And, you know, you give him sort of a run out in that position because he's obviously been moved out wide. And Cavani knows the pain of being moved out wide as a central striker. So, you know, it almost felt like he took pity on him a little bit. They've been playing playing very well on on occasion. Obviously, he's been very up and down, but he's, you know, done well in that role. You know, he's proved he can play there at least. And perhaps more effectively than Cavani can play out wide. And yeah, it felt like without him, Mbappe, he scored the goal, obviously, but it, he didn't offer the, the focal point that Cavani does offer when he plays through the middle. And and he doesn't offer necessarily the goal threat, which sounds weird, given the fact that Mbappe scored so many goals last season. But this season, his finishing hasn't been, as we mentioned many times, it's been very wayward at times. I mean, the game in Monaco, even though he was given that spell through the middle, it could have been 6 or 7-1 that game. And, and he... he he missed a hat trick of of real real chances. Went one on ones virtually all three of them, and I, I, it's really difficult to work out what the issue is. Because if if Cavani is rested and you expect that to happen over the course of the season, because Mbappe is going to want time for the middle, Emery's going to want to give him that time, and he's going to need it to develop. He's obviously still only eighteen. He's still a very young very young chap, and he's got a long way to go in his career. He's going to need time to play in what I think is his natural position, and what he thinks I would imagine is his natural position too. So you would hope that when they make that switch, from Emery's point of view, that it doesn't affect their goal-scoring potential. But it seems to seems to perhaps you know be the case. So it's I think it's it's almost that yes, Cavani they missed him, but Mbappe didn't really step up. And I, I'm not entirely sure that a solitary striking role for him is is the way to go anyway. It's, it's kind of the way he broke for Monaco. He's playing off Falcao, he's playing with Falcao in that four-four-two. He's got a lot of support from Bernardo Silva and Thomas Lamar. And at PSG, although yes, you know. And the wide players, Imarina and obviously Neymar, and on on this occasion play very high at the pitch. They they, they don't necessarily play very close to the striker at, at all times. Um, and Cavani has he's very good at sort of leading the line, and that's something that Mbappe hasn't had to do necessarily because he always had Falcao in support. So I think it's going to be an interesting learning experience for this season for Mbappe. There's no doubt how how unbelievably talented he is and what a fantastic player he is and will be and continue to be. But he's going to need to learn to play that central striker role on his own without support. With with perhaps you know limited chances to drop deep and pick up the ball and run at players like he likes to do. So yes, I think there's there's a case for saying that without Cavani, they they do lack a little bit of cutting edge. Obviously, there's fantastic amounts of attacking talent, so it's 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 obviously there are caveats to that. But it's also a learning experience for the players that replace Cavani and, and most of all Mbappe. Mm, and you, you want to think as well that Mbappe probably operates the best in space, but with a ball at his feet, whether that's in front of the defence or behind the defence. He, he has to get up to speed. That's where his threat comes from. That's where defenders get nervous and he and he starts being able to cut inside or go out wide. It, it, 
it just seems that as a central striker, he's not got enough support around him to try and do that, to try and maybe lay off a pass if he needs to, to go in behind or, or mm. try and do something like that. I mean, Traxler was maybe a little bit deep in this this game for me, a little bit. He sort of struggled to support him, but I was also really disappointed by Angel Di Maria. I mean, yeah. this is, uh, is it his second start of the season? I think it was that this game. So it's, 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 he started Incredible. two in a row, didn't he? Yeah. He started he... The, the Strasbourg game and the Troyes game, and then he started against Nantes as well. So he's had a few, and he started against Nice too, I think, and yeah. Dijon. So he's had a few, but he's been in and out, hasn't he? But he's he's never really fully proven that he deserves anything more mm. than that at the moment to be sort of the secondary man that they try and rely on. And I mean, he had two or three decent chances in this one, and he, he just sort of half-heartedly stroke both of them. I mean, one of them was pretty comfortably wide. The other was a pretty tame shot, really, that Kamara was pretty easy to deal with. And he's not... I think he's possibly motivated by moving elsewhere. I know there was a lot of rumours about the uh, the Barcelona move and, and bits like that in the summer that, obviously, they were looking for an extra wide player to, to join their ranks. And uh, he was linked heavily. Maybe he's probably looking for a way out now. He's not a guaranteed starter it seems like we're in another Di Maria dip. It seems like we get mm. six months of a good Di Maria and six months of a, of an awful Di Maria. And he's just, again, not, it was very much similar to that last, the second six months of his first season where he just went missing. He, he just doesn't contribute enough if he's not got the ball at his feet. And then when he has at the moment, he's not really doing anything. I mean, he's only, I know he's, come on in some games and he hasn't started an enormous amount but he's only scored one goal this season and you listed off the sides there and none of them are in the top half no. none of them are, have been particularly strong defensively and he's not done anything he's not created anything he's not scoring anything and honestly I don't see the use for him I, I would rather see if well, if he was available Lucas might, might be a better option or try Giovanni Lo Celso out in the wider position maybe I mean, you start looking around at the fact that they've let um, Gonzalo Guedes go out on loan and he's pulling That's it through. That's smashing his it, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then, you, then you look back at Di Maria and he cost well, almost three times as much as he did and, and is uh, doing nothing at all, really. But uh, just quickly coming back to Strasbourg, really, and and, and talking about how oh, how excellent they've been, not just t- today, but well, the weekend, sorry, the the way they've been over the last couple of weeks, really. I mean, I think that Marseille game was really the catalyst, really. I mean, they yeah. lost quite a few before then. I know they had the, that win against Lille, but it felt like they were starting to understand what kind of team they were in that 3-3 draw, where they, they were really unlucky, really, not to nick that one as well. Since then, they've only lost that once against Twan, which was a bit of a blip, and they're slowly dragging themselves away from the drop zone. And I mean, with games against Bordeaux, Toulouse and Metz coming up before the, the winter break, they, there's a real chance for them to to keep this going, isn't there, Adam? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I would, I would definitely say so. I, I was, like I said, I was really impressed with them, and I think they're they're a side that can be competitive in this league, and, and they're also a side that will think that there are several sides worse than them, and that with the relegation playoff, especially, they are a hundred percent fancy their chances of staying up. I mean, they didn't make a vast amount of signings. There are a few defensive ones, obviously. Follow and Kone came in at the back, and uh, Benjamin Cornu's obviously been he's always injured, but he's injured again. Came in and along with Jonas Martin, but there weren't, there weren't, you know, there are the, the base of the team is the same team we got sort of promoted last season, at least in midfield. And some of those players have really, really stood out. And I was especially impressed with Dimitri Leonard yes, yeah, on Saturday. He was absolutely fantastic. And I think they kind of they had this slightly different style that perhaps the rest of the league 
one isn't used to playing against and and two is it, their style is effective against other teams and that's sort of diamond four four two they like to play they didn't necessarily play that at the weekend they played sort of a four three three but they, they they have a sort of a sort of a quick sort of very intense kind of style when they on the counter and and they've got a lot of ball playing sort of midfielders and, and forwards who who can who can hurt you given the opportunity and i He's sort of gone a little bit under the radar, but he, I really like um, Nuno da Costa. I think he looks like a good, a good centre forward. He can sort of lead the line pretty well, and he's good for the old goal. He's, he was good against Nice when they won at Nice. Played really well there. I think he got two in that game, um, and and he was really good here again. He, he scored the first goal and, and set up for Hawkins with that flick on. So I think he's a really sort of effective striker. And he's sort of he's a good focal point for players like Martin and, and Linar and, and Terrier, who who's done really well this season. You know. I'm another player I'm surprised Leo let go out on loan. Um, and they look like a side that can give the opportunity with that crowd at home behind them, then they can really cause certain teams problems. And you're right, they've sort of figured out the sort of the right way, the right way to play and the way that we what they're good at, I think is probably the best way to phrase it. They know what they're good at and they they stick to it and and, and they can damage teams by playing that way. So I think they're a credit to the league and they're a big team as well, you know, when you think historically they're definitely in in, in league and in terms of historic sort of big clubs. It's a debate I have have uh, quite often about English teams, but I think Strasbourg would make the league one of, of of you know historic you know big teams with the crowd and, and their history. So I, I'm I think they're they're a great addition to the league and and, and an interesting side to watch. Yeah, there's some great quotes from uh, Leonard after that game, really, <laughs> with the with his uh, war of words, shall we say, with uh, with Neymar, who um, <laughs> the Brazilian accusing the Strasbourg mangan of diving and him sort of saying, how, how dare you? And the, the quote I like is when you dance in front of me, I want to hurt you. That's great words from, <laughs> from a man that's, <laughs> that sort of rose through the ranks through with uh, Strasbourg as well, was with him when they were still in the national as well. And there has been really good this season. I think he scored the excellent goal against uh, Lille, didn't he? As early this season as well, that, that one from, from distance as well. Yes, he did. I remember mm. that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's, he's had a, he's had a good little solid little season and it's good to see players like that who, have come all the way through the through the ranks. I, I'm thinking of players like um, I'm reminded of sort of like Leon Britton, who was at Swansea as well when they came all the way through the ranks as well. It's great to see another player when they do stick to those kind of sides when they do rapidly rise. That um, he's not out of his depth in those uh, in those further divisions. And hopefully, like you say, if if, if Strasbourg can start building results off of this and and the recent results they've got, they've got a fantastic stadium and following. I mean, both that game and the Marseille game, they were absolutely Mm. fabulous all the way through. That's exactly the kind of support we would love to see stay in Ligue 1. But another feisty game and, and one that well, the roof could have gone off of it at the very end, at least anyway, in the, it was on Sunday's match between Montpellier and Marseille. And the one who really grabbed the headlines, unfortunately, Adam, in this one is the referee who, some would say had a okay game. I would say had a pretty disastrous game for both sides, really, in <laughs> fairness. I mean, we'll come through half the stuff in a moment, but we'll start with that penalty decision because it is the big one. That's never a penalty, is it? No, it's not. No, it, I was amazed that it was given. Um, I, I, it's Hilton, isn't it? He, he sort of, there's a, the, for people that haven't seen it, there's a sort of a cross comes in and Sanson in the, in the penalty area turns and shoots a bit of a snapshot and Hilton's about two metres away. And he's got his arm across his stomach, and um, and and the ball hits his arm, which is uh, like just about, which is on his on his stomach, and he's clearly tried to move it out of the way of the ball. There's nothing he can do about it, and to give to give it as a as a as a handball 
um, when it, it really made no difference to the to the, the situation or the play or or anything. It was just it was a I, I, no wonder Montpellier were upset. Um, but yeah, it was it was never a penalty. Um, and Florian Tuvan obviously sort of stuck it away. Goalkeeper came very close to saving it too. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm amazed. I just can't, I'm trying to think what his rationale is for giving that for the, giving the penalty. Is it is it because he feel he feels like the arm moved towards the ball, or does he feel like he somehow affected the play? I'm not. I'm honestly not sure why it was given. I, I agree. I mean, the, the only thing you can think of is that it's hit his arm, so therefore he's given a penalty. I mean, yeah. it's it's not denying the ball from going anywhere because if it doesn't hit his arm, it hits him. Even mm. if his arm was in front of him, it doesn't hit the, anyone else but his his own body anyway. It's still in the same trajectory. I, I cannot for the life of me think of it other than he saw it hit an arm and gave it. I mean, there were moments in this one really where it seemed like he'd... From the first couple of minutes, he seemed to lose control, in my opinion, really. Um, he gave a, I think he gave a booking in the third minute, I think it was, very, very early on, and he never stopped giving away book, uh, bookings. I mean, there was a great uh, quote on um, on Twitter from the uh, the excellent Frenchman, Philou, who does a lot of sort of gifts of French football and bits like that. He mentioned uh, that um, if he was in that uh, the Lyon game that we'll come up to later where Marcel uh, well, pushed a linesman, um, he would have imprisoned him, um, which is a, <laughs> an excellent line of how the referee sort of managed this game. And he was just throwing yellow cards out like they were candy at a, at a store. It was, it was just irrepressible how many... I mean, he gave, he gave away six bookings, which doesn't sound insane, but he booked someone in the first two minutes. No one dared to put a a foot wrong for the rest of the game. Uh, Stefan Sessegnon got a booking for for back chatting a little bit too much, but he seemed so incensed that it, it was it was odd. I mean, Pae was booked for not too much as well. There was a couple of free kicks here and there, and the final decision. And in all honesty, at least he's got this one right. To be fair, um, to some degree anyway. But the, the, it's that final goal where it's swinging and it's about the 88th minute. Um, the corner, well, the free kick, sorry, on the left-hand side, it's swung in and, and Suleiman Karamara heads it in. Hilton sort of dives absolutely full pelt at it and misses it. And Mandonda, um, in a very, um, shall we say, abrasive way, goes to mm. the linesman and, and tries to suggest his claim. Now, uh, what I want to talk about is they did come to the correct decision, really. Hilton is probably well, more than likely interfering with playing Mandonda's dive, but... Did it did it feel like the Marseille players were influencing the referee's decision? The amount of them, literally every single player on the field was around that linesman and the referee as they were trying to make the decision. Do you think that they influenced that one in any way? Possibly. I don't. It's, it's one of those ones that's very difficult to 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 judge because there was quite a long gap, wasn't there, after mm. the goal had gone in and they were celebrating. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I think the ref may even have given it. I'm not 100 percent sure. As in, like sort of, you know, motion to go back to the centre circle. And then, you know, the camera kind of pans away and then all the, you know, most of the Marseille team, and Donda included, and a number a number of players joining him are over to the assistant saying, you know, protesting for offside. And then the discussion is had as, a, I feel like anyway, the discussion is had as a result of that, that you know, protesting. Um, but then I suppose there are, there are two points to that. One, yeah, they could quite easily have influenced the decision, and without the protesting and without the very sort of aggressive way they went about it, they might not have got the decision. But then, you you could argue quite quite easily that the decision is the correct one. I, I think Hilton, you know, it's a very grey area, and it's one that comes up quite a lot with this sort of a shot that comes in, and as a player who's sort of in roughly the path of the ball but doesn't make contact, and then it ends up in the net. 
how and you know how in how much interfering is that and does it is it in certain situations is it defined as interfering or not and with you know at least at the decision given that it's still controversial but at least the right decision was still arrived at it felt like so there there are sort of two points to that to that side to that sort of story but i do feel like that you know in a sort of a general point of view it's not necessarily ever going to happen but they could they there could be sort of ramifications for them for requesting so aggressively and so it was like almost like that it wasn't quite as bad and maybe i'm exaggerating it but that the, the sort of famous roy Keane situation with the 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 the, the, the referee at old trafford it was you know they they, they sort of it, it wasn't the same but it brought brought that to mind um and you know that's obviously something that needs to needs to not be prevalent in in french or any any sort of football so that you know they, they could face ramifications but at least the right decision was arrived at Hmm. I think a couple of things at this, and, and Marseille fans are probably plug your ears now because you're not, not going to like what I'm saying, to be fair. Um, I, I would suggest two things. I, I think that, one, I think they're protesting because they think Hilton's taken a nick on the ball, never mind interfered with it. I don't hmm. think they've gone up to the referee and gone, he's interfered with play. I think they've gone, he's got a nudge on that. He's got a little bit of a touch on that. That's gone hmm. in off of him. That's offside. I think that's what they've said, and it, fair enough. He's very close to it, be fair. But but also, I would suggest, as we've seen a lot of these kind of goals in the past, I don't think the goalkeeper is changing his trajectory simply because Hilton's in there. I think this is an example of sometimes what you see in these in-swinging free kicks that uh, obviously obviously takes a flick anyway. But he's so nervous about any kind of contact happening beforehand, they do a late dive. So I don't think Mondonda changes his mind simply because Hilton's running in there. I think he's already rooted because of the style of the header, curling it further away from him. And he can't really make his ground up now. They've arrived at the right decision, but at the same time, there's there's little bits here and there. But regardless of that, and regardless of the refereeing performance, it, it was a lovely, entertaining game where both sides really tried to go for bits. And I want to focus on Montpellier first. They were much more attacking than we've seen them really in, in a couple of weeks. I know we've all lauded how good they've been defensively in taking draws from these sides higher up. And this is their fourth draw against the top four this season, which is a fantastic result, really. Mm. Um, and they could have nicked it in the last moment. There was the free header in the last second. I think they, that's the moment where I was suggesting the Mousson uh, would have yeah. gone absolutely crazy if that went in. You could hear <laughs> the noise that he missed that um, sort of sh- had the earth shatter a little bit anyway. Um, but they were really, really entertaining stuff. I mean, we, we looked at uh, Rousselon going down the left wing was excellent. Uh, Sessegnon was linked to play. I mean, I'd even give credit to Giovanni Sio. He looked good as well, which uh, <laughs> seemed like he was under a career renaissance there. They, they were really good. Yeah, yeah, they were good. And it's, it's again, it's, it's it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one because it is a bit of a departure from, from what Montpellier... Um, have have you know how they played this season and, and and from Michel de Zakarian's sort of general outlook in in terms of the way he sets up his teams and maybe they just they just felt like there was something to be had in this game with you know Marseille are very you know the the, the most the probably as well as Nice as well they played the most games in 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 Ligue 1 in terms of their European you know exploits have kind of added a lot to their season they've had to rotate quite a lot so maybe they felt like you know by putting under the pressure under pressure that they would you know force mistakes and and you know that it proved it proved really effective and um i i think they had the makings of a of you know a good a very very effective 
side and they could be a, a strong top half team this, this season going into the latter part of the year as well. Because um, although they do, do like to sit back and they'll play this five at the back and that can easily become a flat back five. You look at the, the fullbacks, especially in Roussillon, who, who's been very, very good for a, a quite a long time now, I think. Um, since, certainly for the last sort of two seasons at least, he's, he's been very effective. And you, you could argue even he's you know, one of their most effective players. And him and him and Aguiar on, on fullback can really fly forward. And they've got pace in, in Mbenza as well. And, you know, Sesson's tricky. And Shakiri and, and, and Paul Lam do a very, very effective job in, in midfield. The kind of, you know, the, the kind of jacks of all trades. They can protect the back four. They can keep the ball relatively well. So they've, they, you know, they're sort of evolving into quite an effective team, and perhaps this is the way Desacar has kind of gone about his his setting up of the team because he knows that at Nantes they were they were sort of lowest scorers and second lowest scorers to Trois in the two seasons that he was there in Ligue and and struggled to score goals and it was a huge criticism for his teams for his team over that period and I think he knows that he's going to have to improve upon that and it obviously you know didn't really work out Rance in Ligue 2 and you know they 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 finished I think sixth or seventh perhaps last season and they didn't really come close to promotion. But he knows that he needs to improve upon that. So he set up this defensive base, and I think now he's looking at ways in which they can, you know, be a little bit more expansive and go, look for that those opportunities to score the goals that would make them a bit more of a, a worrying proposition for teams lower down the league. Apart from this counter-attacking, you know, um, difficult to play against unit that they are at the moment. So it's interesting to see how it will progress, and hopefully they'll, you know, it'll progress. Because I like him as a coach. I actually met him. He's a, quite an imposing chap, Zakarian, and. And uh, I hope that um, it would it, it, it goes well for, for Montpellier because you know they're, they're another team that we lo- we sort of like to have around the league and they, you know they're quite a, quite a, a good club to to they represent the league well and it would be good to see them you know have a good season after some terrible seasons recently. Yeah, I mean we were worried about them especially near the start of the season, yeah. but they've really come on strong recently, and that, that's down to a great team ethic and some excellent players like Rousselon. And I really liked Mukiele last night as well. I think he's transitioned into that back three quite nicely as well with uh, Mendes and, and Hilton, and with that forty-year-old next to him guiding yeah. him a little bit more. I think he could be. I think he could be a fabulous player, whether he's at right back or centre back in the in the future as well. Um, but. Talking about the side that they faced, really, Marseille, again, it was another one of those performances from this team this season that have kind of flattered to deceive. They've not really created anything. Again, big players went missing. I mean, Tovan didn't have the greatest of games. Why he came off before Dimitri Payet, though, I'll have no idea at all because Payet was completely ineffectual. Uh, Germain was was trying at times like he he was trying so hard to get himself involved and, and get himself into the game and get on the ball but he didn't really have support Sanson this was maybe his worst game of the season as well he really struggled that midfield entirely really struggled to get him in part of the game I think the only player that can really say he had a good game was was Jordan Amavi who was really good down the left and and, and trying to add some adventure to them and, and passing Aguilar and, and Mukiele when he had the chance as well but Again, you just feel like this team isn't... If they finish in the Champions League places, they still need serious investment to be a real... Well, a contender for next season and the season after that in those kind of positions. And even to, well, be competitive in the Champions League because at the moment, they're still not quite there. I mean, look at the subs. I mean, Campos was pretty good in fairness to him. He tried something. Bunisar didn't really have the time. Mitroglou, again, was completely... I'd, I'd forgotten he'd come on, really, in all <laughs> honesty. I mean, I mean, he might have well, put anyone on with a big mask, I think, at the moment for, for Mitroglou. But again, they just sort of stuck in the background and they're not really... Again, they, they finally seized second place at the weekend and then they've... Mm-hmm 
quite as quickly sort of handed it back. Oh, yes, it's it's on level points now, but their goal difference is vastly worse than, than Monaco and Lyon. But let's have a talk now really about some more games really in Ligue 1. We'll grab a few really that because it was a great weekend really, and I, I know mm. the one that both of us watched on Friday night was an entertaining one as as Dijon came from behind to beat Bordeaux, and this Dijon side at the moment are just incapable. They're irrepressible. They they sort of come from nowhere and they will battle you until the end of the game playing attractive attacking football, and they again nicked one. Yeah, yeah, they did. They've been really good. They're in the top half now, and it's really interesting to see that, uh, as I mentioned on a previous pod, they're the top scorers outside of top four in Ligue 1. And they're also, they have the worst defensive record apart from Mets as well. So if you want goals, then, you know, Dijon is the place to go. But you're right, they just, I think, as Eric's mentioned a number of times before, Olivier Delalio's, you know, often sort of tries to make his, tries to get his teams to play, you know, expansive attacking football. And he's, that's a rarity in some, in some, in some regards anyway, in, in, in Ligue 1, especially in the bottom half. And although they might not be sort of European contenders necessarily, and they might not necessarily, you know, sustain this form, um, I, I feel like they're a really refreshing presence in, in Ligue 1 and, and they're a really exciting team to watch. And they're kind of one of those teams that perhaps um, some European leagues, we've seen the Premier League as well, sort of teams that could come up, or I know they came up the season before last now, but they should have come up and they, they play exciting football and, you know, they cause some upsets and they might only finish on the 13th or 14th, but they're, a, you know, a genuine attraction of the league. And I think that's kind of the role Dijon are filling at the moment. And it's very congested in that, in that mid-table. And obviously there's obviously, you know, they've, they've got the ability to perhaps push on, but it'll be interesting to see how it pans out for the season. But I feel like they're just entertainers at the moment to some extent. And I really want to highlight one player in particular, and I, I'm not sure if um, he's come up too much on, on the pod before, but Chang um, uh, Hoon Kwon has been absolutely brilliant for them in recent weeks. So the sort of South Korean, um, he's playing on the right mostly at the moment, but sort of forward attacking midfielder. And he's so, so skillful and plays with such intensity and he's so difficult to sort of to mark and, and pin down. He's got an absolutely brilliant goal against Amion. They actually lost that game 2-1, which was another really, really exciting game. Um, I think must uh, in midweek, maybe last weekend. Now, there's so many games. They've all sort of this is the up with me. But he was absolutely brilliant in that game, and and was again at the weekend. And he's such a threat. And uh, I I think that he sort of has this really good sort of not say partnership because there's more than one, but that they're sort of attacking players. They sort of play really well off of Tavares, who's sort of like done fine without Luis Tiani, who's sort of gone on Sinetien. Um, and, and is fitting in really well by not scoring any goals as an Etienne as a striker, which is pretty standard. But Tavares has, you know, continued to be that focal point for second. And Kwan and and uh, Sviti when he's fit, and Saeed was really good at scored that scored the winner against Bordeaux. They've got some really exciting players, haven't they? And those those attacking areas, and they just look like they're going to score goals in every game. Yeah, I'll take some credit for mentioning Kwan a few times the last couple oh, of top, weeks. Top work, I, I think he's brilliant as well, to be fair. He's got a little bit of everything, hasn't he? Mm. He sort of doesn't look like he's going to be up to much and then he gets the ball and he tries to do something. And he, What I really love is his work rate and his endeavour. He just wants to get involved with the game. He wants to make something happen. He wants to bring his teammates in. He wants to be an influence. He wants to... He's almost a bit like a kid on a playground, really, at times. Mm. It's almost like he, he's going, give me the ball, um, let me see what I can do with it. I'm not going to do something individually brilliant because I don't think his technical level is that high, um, but he's always wanting to try and do something. His, his effort is amazing, and it's really inspiring, this uh, Dijon team and, and the players around him, like the couple you've mentioned. I mean, Jekka as well has been a really excellent signing on yeah, that. Yeah, he's a good player. Why, 
why Lille have allowed him to be. I mean, he had two nice assists this week as well, which is great for his stats, but he's been really quality um, so far this season that for Dijon in that middle of the park, which was an area really did, that was the problem last season. They had a poor defence. They didn't have a Lincoln Nibidor. They had interesting attackers and having him and when he's fit, um, Sleety there and, and they've got, Abied in on the bench as well. And then, like you mentioned, the, the rehabilitation of Wesley Saeed, really, from um, his time at Wren has, has really been excellent. In the last couple of weeks, he's been he's been really good and scored some really important goals. And he's now starting to start games as well because he was coming off the bench initially. But he's he's linking up play nicely. He's um, built a nice little partnership with uh, Tavares, who's still scoring goals, even though Dione's not there anymore. I think they're a really interesting side. Jano's a good player. You just look through this team and they're just solid players. Now they've got a better defence. I mean, I also have to give uh, credit um, to Delalio because I, the the substitutions he made to bring on Rosier in particular for um, Shafiq at right-back just gave them a bit of energy and just gave them a little bit extra and it was with about 10 minutes to go, Shafiq looked a little bit tired, but Rosier has been good all season and bringing him on just to add that bit of pace and that bit of quality just, just added something to them. And really, again, Bordeaux had some moments that were okay, but and it's called, Malcolm scores an absolutely stunning goal as well, to oh, be fair. Yeah. But they, they, you thought they turned a corner and again, they've sort of flattered to deceive again. I mean, Monday scored two at the weekend, well, midweek and didn't really contribute here. They started Cafu, he scored a nice goal. Depraville comes on and doesn't do much. They, they're still sort of stuck in sort of third gear at the moment and you start to worry that, that um, Govanek's going to come under um, some real pressure in the near future. But another excellent game that I really enjoyed on Sunday and I'll talk to you about it first, Adam, is the, um, the Leon Kong game. Really excellent game, to be fair, from two sides that are playing Interesting football, at least. I mean, I've watched Khan a few times this season. They were a bit more offensive than they have been. But we'll start with Leon uh, getting to winning ways again after that poor result against Leo. Uh, again, this one was a bit more of a struggle. They, in the last couple of weeks, it's been a little bit... Well, in the last week or so, it's been a bit tougher for them, at least. But this was an important win against a side that are, well, are seventh. So you can't deny that this was always going to be a tough game away from home as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, it's interesting to see Con up in up in the top top half. They sort of they've been up and down in the last couple of seasons. I remember the season Orange got promoted. What it was two seasons ago, when they were they were they also challenged at the top. And at one point they're in the top three, and they're sort of having a similar season. The last season, then they sort of had their down their sort of down period, and and uh, very nearly got relegated. And they're honestly quite lucky to stay in division with that draw against PSG on the on the last day of the season. But yeah, there are another side who are, are quite sort of, um, as you said, interesting football. They're playing they're playing a little bit more expansive than some. And and there are another side who've got these sort of in in a similar world to Dijon, and they've got some you know really exciting in terms not necessarily that's for skill and flair, but they're very effective players like Ronnie Lordland, who is who is honestly quite skillful, like very. Um, very effective going forward. Even Santini is a great, great, great striker to watch. He's a very bulky, the classic sort of number nine who who can you know he's quite you know for league in terms anyway. In a pro mid table side, he's, he's relatively prolific, uh, and you know he, he's very effective up front. And I've always I've always quite a Vincent uh, Vincent Bessat. I think he was good at, uh, at Nantes when he was there. Um, been a little bit injured this season, and, and Yusuf Benassa, who was at Nancy last season, you know he didn't really. He find too much space in that Nancy side to, to show up what he's capable of, but he's come in to, to, to con the season and, and, and done well. Um, so I think there are there's sort of 
things to be had for, for Colin this season. They've got some quietly effective players. Frederick Gilbert's another one at fullback. Um, who I th- I'm surprised Bordeaux let go. I know they've got Yusha Sabali there, but when Sabali can play both fullbacks and and they haven't got the, the you know not as necessarily blessed at left back with Perrinard's come in and you know not necessarily the most not young. He's he's you know he's got a long way to go in his career, but he's not perhaps the standard Bordeaux would hope. And Milan Gaic not necessarily you know in a very similar, he's in a very similar position, and I, I'm surprised they let him go. So you know there are there there are things for Con to be had this season. It, it'd be really interesting to see where they finish. Um, but yeah, it was great to see Leon again playing some, playing some, playing some, you know, exciting football. They're, they're arguably the best team to watch in the league this season. Probably not even arguably, probably quite definitively. But um, yeah, I, I, I hope that both sides, you know, continue to play the way they're playing because again, they're both really exciting teams to watch. Yeah, I just felt in this one as well, especially for Cole. They were really unlucky at times. I think they created some really decent trances. I mean, Santini's a, a pain in the bum. And the best of times is I really like that kind of striker. He's, he's mm. constantly harassing defenders with his with his strength. But I just felt in this one, watching Cole again, is that they may be two or three players off of being a really, really good side. I, I like the defence. I, I like Gico and De Silva. They're good centre-backs. And they've got good full-backs in Gilbert and Benguay, especially going forward as well. Uh, I, Benacer, I'll, I'll come back to him in a moment. But him... Um, maybe Ferre is where they're struggling. I think he he looks like he's lost a step now. If they had a couple of wingers to get something into Santini or support him better, a lot mm. like well, one other side of Ronnie Rodelan, who is a, a really excellent player and can score goals. I mean, Kouaku was really poor in this one, but and Ferre was as well. That just if they gave Santini more service, especially from a wider position, I think they could be a really good team. I, I mean, they're seventh at the moment, but they could be an unarguable seventh if uh, if they maybe had a couple more players of a bit of quality, but. The player I do want to come back to is Ike Benesir, who I, I really think was excellent this game. I think he was superb. Um, he was maybe a little bit more attacking than I've seen him in the past. He more of a sort of number eight role. Um, but he was the dictator in this midfield. And I mean, against players like Awa and, and Tusa, who are good def- midfielders as well, he was the commander in this game. He, he sprayed the ball about. He was playing it wide. He was playing incisive passes. Everything seemed to be going forward. He was dictating the pace. He has that lovely bit of skill I'm sure everyone's seen through through the videos where he, uh, where he nutmegs uh, the player as well with a lovely bit of... Uh, Feet movement. I think he's an excellent player. I think now that he's starting more games for Carl, he, he for some reason Nancy didn't play him much that season. It could have been a number of things, but at 21, he looks like he's starting to find his rhythm again. I mean, there was a lot of hype of him coming from Nancy in League Dern and going to Monaco, but I, I, I might be a bit of a shout, and I'm I'm not guaranteeing this, but in the summer when. Monaco getting back and have a look at him. They they need to take a longer look at Ike Benacer, I think. Um, him in the middle, possibly Fabinho stays, which is unlikely, but I'm just just feel like he's possibly a better replacement for Timu Timui Bakioko than the than the what they have at the moment. He's a little bit more controlled, he's got excellent positioning when he is in a more defensive set. And he can dictate the pace, which is something they're missing at the moment in in terms of Jean Moutinho maybe not quite being good enough defensively in that role. Yuri Tielemans as well, not quite deciding where he works. I thought he was excellent and he showed a lot. And Leon were maybe a little bit lucky in this one for a number of things, especially Marcel pushing a linesman and getting no no repercussion at all. He didn't even get a booking, which is one of the most unbelievable things I've seen this season. I think uh, how he's got away with that, I will never know. Um, so we'll go through 
any other sort of game. Um, I mean, one I wanted to mention possibly was Mets have had an, an awful start to the season, really, and now they are 14 points away from 17th now as they are bottom of the table. Um, that's their escape route. I mean, they're, they're 12 points off the uh, relegation playoffs. It's going to, at this stage even now, possibly take a monumental effort for them to get out of it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think I think they're down. Uh, it's a, it's a bit of a shame, um, but it's it's something we've, we've sort of come back to a number of times on the podcast this season. In that selling Sheikh Diabate uh, and Ismail Assar, well, he, obviously Diabate was on loan from Osmanlis for, so you know they had to send him back. But it, it feels like he was available again, and there, there definitely were attempts made. And I don't know how that deal fell through. But Diabate um, is is an experienced and proven league and goal scorer, and Mets conceded the most goals in the league last season and they finished 14th, I think. It was very close at the bottom. And the goals of Saar and Diabate kept them up. I mean, Saar's fair enough. You know, they've got a decent fee for him and, and you know, he's a player that is obviously going to be playing at a high level. But it felt like that, you know, Matthew De Semi's come in and I think done really, really well in a difficult situation. He's good for Standley for for quite a long time. And, you know, he would have been a, a decent enough replacement for Saar. And, but they just don't have a focal point and they don't have anybody that they can rely on to score them goals. And Diabata, you can rely on him to score goals in the league. And he's very so that classic beanpole striker, but he's effective. And and replacing him with a combination of Nolan Rue, who's notoriously ineffective and lack, lacks, he's, he lacks, more, lacks so much composure. He's the least amount of composure of any striker I've ever seen. And to the point where it looks like he's happier playing on the wing because he doesn't have to have any responsibility of scoring goals. And and Emmanuel it's probably a bit harsher, but still, uh, Emmanuel Rivier uh, is another player that you know isn't necessarily a player you can rely on to score goals. And I feel like that like, it's a huge, huge miss for them. And I just can't see a way out. I mean, I when the Prats took over at Toulouse, they were ten points adrift with ten games to play, and that at that point felt like a bit of a miracle. I know that there are more games to play, but Toulouse had a decent enough team. Mets don't have a, a really, like they've got a league good team with a couple of good players in, like Coad and Desevi. And the 14-point gap is just obscene. They've only scored six goals in those 16 games, and I don't see a way out. Um, I, I think they're done, aren't they? They must be. They they have to be cooked. I mean, yeah. if you're looking at any of the games at the moment, a game against Nice is, is something you maybe want to try and aim and take a point from. And, and in the end, they were sort of overwhelmed. I mean, Balotelli scored a, 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 well, a lucky free kick and set up a nice goal, really, for, for, for Nice. But they, they are struggling at the moment, really, still, even though they they have lifted the 13th. But Mets are down. I mean, look at the stats. I mean, I mean they've got 20, minus 26 goal difference. They're the worst defence in the league. They have by far the worst attack in the league. I mean, they've scored five less than the next worst, which is which is con- um, ironically, even though they're seventh. And then the next worst conceders are on 27 which is both Strasbourg and Dijon I mean that's absurd that amount of difference is impossible I mean one win on one draw a season and they've they've barely gained anything uh, under Frederick Hans they they got rid of Hinchberger hoping that it might inspire something it hasn't it has not at all um, and it's only really going to get worse for them I think uh, I mean y- if you're aiming for anything their next game is against Rennes who are in form Montpellier were in form, Strasbourg who were in form. I, I think what the only hope they have is in January, try and do something. I mean, I don't know what they can do, um, but they're going to have to try and muster something together trying to get out of this. Just quickly before we mention, um, we'll move on to international duties. Um, Adam, is there anything else you want to pick out from this league on weekend to, to mention to the audience? I mean, it was a really good weekend and there's, there's a few games to pick from. Is there anything else you... 
I feel the need to to speak about. Um, I, I thought it was. I watched the, the this, my my choice for the multiplex was the Monaco Angers game, um, which turned out to be a terrible choice. To be honest, it was a very poor game, and Falcao scored the only goal. It was pretty much the only the first sort of anything that happened in the game after two minutes. And I'm worried about Angers. I think you know, 14 points after 16 games. They're, like, they're missing um, Shaken Doy, and they could be in trouble. I don't think Mulan, the manager, is in trouble, but. I, they're lacking the the sort of the bite and the power that he, that that Sheikh Dibate, sorry, that Sheikh and Doi, sorry, provides. And I don't know how they can replace that when Mangani's not at his best form, which he hasn't been in the last few weeks. One of my favourite players in the league, but he's been a bit out of colour recently. When he's when he's good, I think he can cover those gaps. When it, but they can't rely on him to do that all the time. So that's a bit disappointing. I think it's interesting to to mention the the, the you mentioned in the roundup the Ranieri. Um, Situation with uh, Nantes. There was a, a, against Senetian. He brought um, Valentin Rongier at half time, off at half time after a, after a, a forceful challenge, which I don't think even received it. We've even given as a foul. And it, there's this brilliant video, which is actually on the Nantes Twitter feed. Like they tweeted it themselves of Vanieri sort of t- giving the referee a telling off, basically, in, in not in like an aggressive, I'm upset because you didn't do the right, you didn't give, you know, send a play after fouling one of my players, in like a sort of a you know, uh, a sort of a almost like a fatherly way. He was just disappointed. Not uh, he wasn't angry. He was disappointed, and and so he sort of calls Ranier, He calls um, Ranger over, and Ranger is looking very sort of sheepish, and uh, he says he points at the his ankle, which is cut, and he says, you know, this is a this is a red card, and he sort of sort of storms off, and and then he, you see him talking to the referee, and um, uh, the, one of the I think one of the Senetian co sort of presidents there, uh, not not rushed to the Romier, is it? I think. And he's sort of discussing, and he's, he's sort of saying to the he's saying to the ref like, if it's not an issue if I lose if we lose the game, that's not an issue. But you know, if if I have to bring um, Ronji off because he's broken his angle, that is an issue. And the ref sort of not quite a young referee sort of nods along. It was just sort of a great sort of you know Ranieri showing his experience and his the gravitas that he has. And it was although you know Ronji does actually genuinely look injured. Um, it, it was it was quite sort of a, a sort of an interesting side note to. To, to, the, to the way sort of, you know, effectively good. And it's great that he's, played, he's manager of knowledge. So it's been, it's been good fun so far. Yeah, and it, you mentioned it rightly. It seemed like he was sort of, nothing was really angry per se about it, other than he wants to protect his players, which is a, mm. a really nice thing to see. But that, that came as well. It, it had the weirdest contrast I think I've ever seen. I mean, Van Pajot's goal is absolutely wonderful. It's it seems to consistently rise. I mean, Tatarasano watches it and goes, "I can maybe go for that," and then it lifts as it's cut, getting closer, and he goes, "Oh no, no, there's no way I'm going to even try." <laughs> And it goes right into the... Uh, I've not seen a goal for a long while that's gone absolutely bang into that top corner. It's a really wonderful strike from distance that you you really don't expect from Pajot at, at times, at least anyway. And then and uh, a high contrast to their season, at least anyway, of being a spectacular moment is what has been a pretty woeful moment. And then Nolte, who've had a, a good season, have the scrappiest goal you can possibly think of. I mean... Emiliano Sano isn't graceful at the best of times, sure. really, but um, he bundles between two defenders. Is it? He, he sort of controls it in well <laughs> in his nether regions, really. In the end, and then it's cleared from the defender um, Lacroix into his face, and it goes in. <laughs> it is it, wonderfully comic in, in in some ways, and almost the perfect um, amalgamation of the Argentinian, really, and how he tends to score goals. But um, yeah. a wonderful little game that. Um, again two sides that aren't quite 
probably a European level at the moment, but they're still waiting for that first win under Julien Sable Arle there. But let's move on to France's World Cup group now. That was drawn on Friday evening, as I'm sure many of you tuned in. And it's a, it's an interesting one. Group C, um, they're facing Denmark, who are a decent side. We've seen that then put uh, Ireland to the sword in the uh, playoffs. Uh, Peru, who got past New Zealand. And uh, Australia, who uh, beat Syria in their qualifiers as well. That isn't the... Well, looking at some of the other groups especially, they have to be really happy with what they drew there, don't they? Yeah, I, th- I, I definitely think that's that's the case. Um, uh, you'd expect France to to win the group pretty comfortably. Sort of, in, and anything, it's one of those groups where anything less is almost, you know, a little bit of a disappointment. And they, they seem to remember the, the group in perhaps 2006 that had South Korea, Switzerland, and Togo in. And they mm. is a similar sort of group in that they, you know, they kind of made a hash of that that group as well. They think they drew with Switzerland, and South Korea, and perhaps finished second in that group to Switzerland. I seem to remember. I, I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they finished second in that group, and they, they made hard work of it. And I feel like this is the case with some of the bigger teams that, or some of the you know perceived as bigger teams, England being another one, although not necessarily the case in terms of results. That a slightly more difficult group is almost beneficial because it means they have to hit the ground running, and it means that they they can't you know ease into the tournament. They're forced to, to play with intensity. They're forced to win the earlier games because they know that the later games are going to be more difficult and France are a, a, a classic team that are susceptible to complacency and I feel like this is the only real issue with this group because you know on paper it does look very very winnable is that they might get a little bit complacent perhaps I mean yeah this is a group they should win I mean they're facing Australia first and then, and then they face Peru so they've got the two easy games you would say initially and then they have to face Denmark in the final one I think the only thing that's going to really maybe slow them down and it's an issue probably for a number of teams really in in this tournament is the sheer distance you're going to have to go to go between games I mean they're probably more favorable than some they've got their opening game in Kazan then they're in Yekaterinburg um, Yekaterinburg sorry let's say that right Um, it's going to be tough for some of these at least anyway thank god that they've got their third game in Moscow that's a lot easier to say um they're that's not too bad, but you look at the distances between St. Petersburg, the, the aforementioned uh, Yekaterinburg as well, and Soki as well. They, they, there's thousands of miles between those sort of stadiums. If you're, if you're a little bit unlucky and you get something a bit difficult, I mean, I'm just trying to look at the games that they might face should they win the group, and they're back in Kazan. Then they might be in uh, Novgorod, and that's another fair distance away. That's maybe going to be a possible sort of issue that they've tried to sort of skirt around at least anyway but I do want to mention if they do for example win the group they would face the runners up of group D which is Argentina's group which isn't a particularly tricky one either looking at the teams like uh, well, Croatia or a decent side Iceland and Nigeria they could also then on the other side of it for the quarterfinals as well might be either the winners of group A or group B that could be someone like Portugal or Spain which is probably their first you might even say tough opponent because if it ends up being the winner of Group A, it could be Russia, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, or Uruguay, and that's not quite the the difficulty level you you have to admit. So, in all honesty, I know some people are already picking France as possible favourites anyway, but they have a relatively easy kind of route to a semi final if things go their way. Yeah, yeah, I think 
again, that would be interesting to see whether that is something that plays into their hands or not, because obviously you know you'd expect them to to beat those teams mentioned, and you expect them to, to to find their way to the semi-finals. But I think the thing with at this point is is that it's this is the kind of thing that we always do before a major tournament. You kind of look at that route and. It could easily it could easily pan out like that, but then the, the things that sort of happen in major tournaments are very difficult to sort of they're very sort of unsolicited sometimes. You know, you talk about France have been on the wrong end of some you know Senegal game in two thousand and two, you know, and things go awry, and they could easily you know Croatia could possibly win Group D, and they could find themselves playing Argentina in the second round, and and already be in trouble. So it is nice to have that sort of that sort of route ahead of them. You know, the path ahead ahead of them seems to have sort of cleared relatively nicely, but I think there's, there's hopefully anyway, they won't be sort of taking that too much for granted just yet because they could easily sort of fall into a, a, an Argentine second round game or, 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 or perhaps, you know, something even worse going on. So it's definitely a really, really good, um, you know, it's a good group. They would have hoped for that sort of draw, but I don't think they should take it too lightly. We've seen how good Denmark are as well. You know, they, they could also beat those the, those first two opponents, and then that game, that final group game between Denmark and France in Moscow on on Tuesday, June twenty eighth, twenty sixth, sorry, could be could be could be quite the decider, and who who it'd be difficult to back against Denmark causing them some trouble there. So there's there's a lot. Of, I think there's a lot to unfold just yet, but a good group. Yeah, and when you think about the players that they have got, like Christian Eriksen and. Uh... And the oh, you're skipping my name up, but it's the uh, fine odd striker as well. He's I, I, I'm a big fan of him. Jorgensen, that's it. Oh um, yeah, yeah. He's a really good player as well. They they they've got some Larage, obviously, but of, of Bordeaux. They're only yeah. a, a French contingent. There's a couple of it. Pioni Sisto, I like a lot at Santa Vigo as well. Cashmere uh, Schmeichel, obviously in goal. They've got um, or possibly Jonas Losel for a gang goalkeeper, depending on which way they go. I think they might go for the form, for the <laughs> former in that. But um, they've got some interesting players. They, they, they're not going to be the easiest side to play. But if things start going their way, that you I mean, I'm just looking at possible quarterfinal with Portugal. Um, that should be fun if it's a repeat of the, well, the 2016 European Championship final, a possibility for potential revenge there. That has to be in their, their mm. sightline. That would be a nice one to, to pick up. And there's a few interesting games on the, on the side there as well. But... Um, Getting some draws now, at least. Anyway, there will be the Champions League draw soon as well with with Paris Saint-Germain in there. And uh, we're, the only real one in Europe, at least this week, that's maybe got a bit of trouble is is Marseille. I mean, Nice are already through. As are, well, Monaco are already eliminated from the from the Champions League. Um, and Lyon are already through in the Europa League as well. Um, do you still expect Marseille to, to pass the test of Red Bull Salzburg? It's a tough one, but with the Austrians already uh, qualified, it's a good chance, isn't it? It is a really good chance. Yeah, I think they again. This is Marseille have been terrible in the Europa League. I, I, I kind of feel like I, at least I'm 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 sort of I'm under the impression that they they kind of they see it as a at least sort of um, not necessarily more important than the cups. But I think there's there is importance on this competition. Perhaps you know that they want to get to. They see themselves as a European regular. They see themselves as a big club, which they are. And they they expect to be sort of pushing quarterfinal level, given the squad that they've got and the, you know the investment they've made in in some you know big names and and still very good players and Luis Gustavo has been brilliant, Payet, Rami, those sort of players. So, but they seem to really have taken it in Eastern playing terms have been very very lacklustre, and they've been very lucky to find themselves in the position that they are. 
um, in that Salzburg have already qualified, beat them of course in in, in Austria, and um, they sort of happen into this situation where they're playing against a team who have nothing to play for at home, and they've they've won both their home games so far, I'll say, and that they they sort of got that last minute very very fluky goal in in, in the previous game away at Connors one. They sort of come into this situation where they could. You know that it's sort of laid out for them to qualify, but they've they've come so close to messing it up so far. It feels like there's still a, you know a few potholes on this road just yet. And I think the thing to say about Salzburg is that Austrian clubs' um, budgets are very small, and they the, the the prize money on offer in in the Europa League. I know perhaps less so for Salzburg, but it is a factor. Austria Vienna are another one that they really take these games very seriously because um, even though it might be a dead rubber in terms of the group, there's still prize money to be had, and there's still Sort of, there's still benefits there for them. So I don't know that Salzburg will just roll over. And coming to the Velodrome, you know, it's it's in a magnificent stadium. It won't be full, but it's 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 you know, it's a big opportunity. And for some of those players, not to bless Salzburg, they're a very very good team, and their their youth players, the young players, are very good. They won the Austrian, they won the um, UEFA youth, youth League last year, so they've got a lot of talent. But coming to the Velodrome might be the biggest, one of the biggest games, or one of the biggest stages that some of those players have ever played on. So I I think there are there's a number of caveats to to that sort of Marseille on paper they could stroll through and it could be very simple but there you know there's still some some work to be done just yet I think. yeah absolutely it's going to be a really interesting one when it does come around to Thursday that unfortunately is the only one that's going to have some excitement really for a French <laughs> side but we'll we'll wait and see how that goes on uh, that's all we have for this week my thanks to Adam and for all of you listening at home um, there'll be no preview show on Thursday so do join us again for the main show on back on Monday at the same time and same place next week. Uh, Abianto and goodbye.